Well, good evening, saints. Ooh, that was dead. Good evening, saints. <laughs> Y'all sound like I feel. Um, uh, it, it, it was a real um, great thing yesterday. I was uh, officiating a wedding for a close friend of mine, but uh, it, it ended up, uh, I was at the wedding till uh, close to midnight, and that is way, way past my bedtime, so I feel like I'm, I'm running on fumes at, at this point in the day. Uh, we've been going through this, uh, this series uh, called The Fundamentals of Everything, where we've divided up all of redemptive history into uh, five segments. We have creation, we have fall, we have redemption, we have proclamation, and then finally we'll look at restoration. And the stage we're in right now is proclamation. And last time uh, I was uh, with you in the evening service, uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, commission, uh, or rather commissions, uh, that Christ and other scriptures give that de describe our responsibility to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the character and the nature and the work that God has done. Uh, and, and now we're, we're, we're moving into uh, something kind of related to that. But before we get into it, I, I want to kind of um, describe to you how to live a safe Christian life free from almost any resistance. Uh, if you want to live a, a safe Christian life free from any type of uh, resistance, uh, then one thing you need to make sure that you do is you need to make sure that you do not share the gospel. You, you need to make sure that you uh, do not attempt to tell anybody about the saving work of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we get into this topic of spiritual warfare, I feel like there are times at which it is difficult to convince people of spiritual warfare. And I think one of the reasons why is because most of us are far from the battlefield. I, I kind of remember, uh, you know, when I was in high school, uh, shortly after 9-11, we, we began an invasion of Afghanistan and began military operations there. And one of the things I kind of thought about is, uh, you know, it would appear on the news and in newspapers, but one of the things I thought is, to me, it doesn't really feel like we're at war. My life is kind of going along as it normally would as a high schooler. Uh, then, then several years later, I think it was in uh, 2007 or so, I took a missions trip to Afghanistan and visited the, uh, the capital of Kabul, which was relatively secure. But uh, one of the things that I uh, kind of noticed as I went in there is, you know, the reality that we're at war here seems a lot more real here than it did back when I was in Memphis. Why? Because I was thousands of thousands of miles away from the battlefront. Even in Kabul, I was actually relatively uh, safe from the front lines of the conflict at that time. But I, you began to see soldiers, you began to see tanks, you began to see bullet holes in walls and signs of warfare. If I had moved e even uh, closer to the front lines, I might hear the sound of gunfire and mortars going off. 
But what, what, what I want to point out to you is that my distance from the battlefield did not negate the reality that there was a war going on. I think most of us are living safe Christian lives free from any resistance is because we are far from the battlefield. A ship in harbor is safe, but ships are not meant for the harbor. A soldier far from the battlefield only risks civilian discomforts, but that's not the place of a soldier. As, as we get into this uh, uh, topic, which is a huge topic of, of spiritual warfare, uh, one of the things I'm going to warn you of is I'm just going to be skimming the surface of this topic. Uh, and if, if you've got a Bible, what we're going to be doing is going to be a lot like a sword drill. I mean, we're going to be hitting a lot of passages, uh, and, and we aren't going to be able to go too deep in any of them. But one of the things I want you to see is that this is something that shows up throughout Scripture. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, buying or, or getting uh, a different car. You know, say, say you get a green Camry. And then all of a sudden, what, what, what do you start noticing all over the place? Start noticing green Camrys all over the place. Now, people didn't just suddenly start buying more green Camrys because you got one. No, what, what happened is your eyes became attuned to a reality that was already there. Uh, one of the things, reasons why I'm going to hit a lot of these passages is so that as you read the Scriptures, one of the things you can be more attuned to is the reality of spiritual warfare. And as you read uh, from now on, I hope, I hope it's something you pay attention to. Uh, so I'm going to give uh, three uh, points and, and uh, a lot of <laughs> uh, passages as we try and just briefly cover this. Uh, first of all, uh, the spiritual realm is real. So in dealing with spiritual warfare, one of the things we have to establish is that the spiritual realm is real. Uh, first passage we're going to look at that relates to this is Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16, Colossians 1.16, speaking of Christ, let's back back up to verse 15 because it's so good. Uh, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So when, as we get into spiritual warfare, one of the things we have to talk about is that this spiritual realm is real. This is not just the earthly things, but the heavenly things exist and are created in Christ. Not just the things that we can see, but the invisible things that we cannot see were created by Christ. And both heaven and earth, both visible and invisible, there are thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Uh, there's spiritual hierarchies just as there are earthly hierarchies. The spiritual realm is real. Another place we get uh, a little insight into this is, uh, and this is a verse I think we're going to come back to uh, later as well, is Ephesians 3. So turn, turn to your left a little bit. And Ephesians 3, chapter 10. 
Uh, this is just a, a powerful pa passage. Uh, it's, it's Paul talking, and he, he says, uh, he's talking about this uh, unsearchable riches of Christ that are manifest in the mystery that is both Jew and Gentile receiving salvation in Christ Jesus. He says, you know, God hid this uh, plan for ages, and, and then he reveals it at the right time. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly place. So what's this talking about? This is talking about the earthly reality of the church exists so that God can manifest His wisdom, His glory, His might, His power to heavenly beings. Uh, th this spiritual realm is a real thing. It was created by Christ, for Christ. It it's something that still exists. It's something uh, that is related to the life of the church. Um, in, in addition to the spiritual realm being real, our second point is that spiritual warfare is real. Opposition exists. Um, there, there was a movie that came out a long time ago, and it, it had this uh, great line that was, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I, I, I think that's a, a beautiful line. The easiest way to lull somebody into complacency is for them to not believe that there's opposition, to not believe something is a threat. But ex opposition exists. Uh, we're going we're gonna to hit a lot of passages here. 1 John 3.8 is the first place we'll talk about. This is talking about Christ. 1 John 3.8. I told you all we're going to be jumping all over the place today. But it's something I don't think a lot of people talk about. And so I, I, I want to show you how prevalent it is, especially compared to how little we talk about it. 1 John 3, 8. Whoever... Okay, yeah, sorry. This is the second half. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The purpose in Christ coming to earth was what? To destroy the works of the devil. What is Satan or the devil focused upon? He's focused upon opposing God's purposes. So already we have a conflict that exists, and Jesus isn't just coming to reform. He's coming to destroy there is an inherent conflict here. Uh, let's look at uh, uh, Colossians uh, three. Or, sorry, Colossians two fifteen. There's so many. <laughs> there's so many passages about this stuff, y'all. And, and I hope when you have some time, you can go back and look at these passages and, and see how rich they are. Colossians uh, two fifteen. Uh, this is, this is uh, actually, let's go back to verse 13. It's just, it's, this stuff is too good. I hope you have a chance to go back and, and really chew on it. Uh, this, is, this is like reading a menu and, and not really getting to eat any of the food we're uh, passing over. Uh, 
And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So this is, I mean, this is talking about the work of Christ on the cross, creating a triumph, a victory over opposing rulers and authorities. But by the way, in the Greco-Roman times, uh, you know, the, the, the term a triumph uh, kind of referred to uh, something like a military parade that would happen after a, a general or somebody had a victory over an opponent. And what they would do is they would, you know, they would basically take the spoils of war and, and the captors that they had had and put, like, and parade them through the city. The purpose was to put them to shame, to show how weak they were and how great the Romans were. Uh, so you'd have these generals, you'd have these warriors uh, that they would, uh, you know, bring out in, in chains, you know, in, in rags or stripped of all their military gear. And then, you know, and they, they have to march through the whole city. Why? To demonstrate their weakness and the power of Rome. Here it's saying that Christ has overcome these people and he's triumphed over them. He's achieved the victory. He's gained the victory. Now, this spiritual warfare, by the way, isn't just something that Christ does and Christ is involved in. He's the first. He's the greatest. He's the one who secures the victory. But it's something that Christ's church should also be involved in. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start quoting some of these because I don't know if we have time to get on all of them. James 4.7. Anybody have that memorized? James 4.7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What's that talking about? That's talking about a, a battle against the devil. Jesus, when he uh, is tempted in the wilderness... Satan comes to him. What, it, what does he do? He resists. He resists. He resists. And then at the end it says Satan leaves him to return at a more opportune time. We're going to come back to this passage as well because I think there's something key for us as we enter into spiritual warfare about this principle of submit God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.4 is another place uh, where it points out that uh, we are at war in the spiritual realm. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Uh, in this passage, is, is talking about the way in which we ought to wage war. Uh, let's look at verses 3. Let's look, look at verses 3 through 5 because I, I want to tie this back a little bit. Uh, to what we talked about initially about proclamation. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So this is saying that the battle in which we are fighting is not a battle of flesh. Uh, it's, it's not a, a physical conflict, uh, but it is a spiritual encounter. And he says we have weapons in this encounter that we ought to be using to do what? To destroy strongholds. And, and listen to the strongholds he talks about destroying. Destroying arguments. Well, when, when do you get into arguments? Well, it's when you're trying to persuade somebody. Persuade somebody about what? Persuade somebody about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lofty opinions, the pride of man raised up against God. By the way, I think it sounds like some of these are external and some of them are internal. Also, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Not only external arguments against others, but the thoughts which we have in our own mind, which are opposed to Christ, we are to war and to fight against. You begin to see this, this pattern in, in Scripture that Jesus came to do warfare against the work of the devil, that he calls us to battle against the devil, to be engaged in this spiritual warfare. It is a, a part of our call, a part of our purpose as his church. If the spiritual realm is real and spiritual warfare is real, then spiritual empowerment is necessary. And, and I kind of rushed the, the, those first two points so we could camp out a, a little bit on this principle. And we're, we're going to, by the way, if you want a book to read and to look at, uh, to, to open your eyes more to the reality of the spiritual realm, the book of Ephesians is the place to go. Read the book of Ephesians. Just look at all the times the heavenly realm is mentioned, uh, and it will be eye-opening to say the least. Ephesians uh, chapter 3, I, I want to look at uh, verses, these are long verses for somebody who's struggling with a sore throat, or long passages. Uh, Ephesians 3, uh, we're going to look at verses uh, 10 and 13, and then I'm going to uh, read down th through verse 19 as well because there's a connection between these two sections I want you to see. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. One of the things this, this, this passage is talking about, it says initially that God is making manifest His wisdom through the church to the rulers in the heavenly places. Uh, but one of the things this passage emphasizes is that our connection to Christ is what empowers us to do the warfare that is necessary. You, you, you notice that? He, you know, he manifests his wisdom through the church against these rulers and authorities, but how do they have the ability to accomplish it? Verse 311 according to the eternal purposes that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access. What gives us the confidence? What gives us access to the power and the spiritual resources? It is Jesus Christ. In that second section, uh, you know, it's talking about uh, you know, knowing the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Jesus Christ's love that surpasses all knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God that we, they might be strengthened with power according to the riches of God. Now, how do we have access to that power? How we strength? How, how do we uh, receive that fullness? It is through the work of the Spirit in your inner being. You need something outside of you to come in you so that you have power to do what He has called you to do. There is a dependence that is necessary. One of the things we see in this passage, and we will see in the next passage that we look at, is that there is a provision of power. The power is there, but you've got to be connected to it. Uh, we have twin boys, and uh, you know that causes all sorts of chaos in our life. And we have a, a you know a, a cute little house from the 1950s when they believed in small kitchens, and uh, you know we now have baby bottles and all this stuff. You, you know it's hard to turn around without knocking over some baby-related item in our kitchen. Uh, and and one of the things we we have to do is we uh, have two bottle warmers for. Uh, you know, warming up breast milk and other things for our, our, our baby boys. And, um, but it's also right where our toaster is. So we have to unplug uh, one of the baby bottle warmers to plug in our toaster. And as you can imagine, w one of the things that's happened on a couple occasions is um, uh, we put in the baby bottles and then you, you turn the timer and the timer runs automatically. You know, it has that little ticking. It must be like spring-loaded or something. But the water doesn't heat up unless it's plugged in. So there have been a couple times where uh, sometime during the day we made toast. We forgot to plug it back in. We put the bottles in. We turn, we turn the knob, and then we grab the bottles as our two screaming children are ready to feed, and only one of them is warm. Now, the, the the problem isn't with the power. The problem is there's no connection to it. You have to be connected to the power to receive the benefit. 
For the bottle to be warmed, the machine's got to be plugged in. In Christ Jesus, there is power. We have to be connected to Him, though, in order to receive it by faith. Another place we see this is in Ephesians 6. We looked at this for our responsive reading. In fact, both the responsive reading and the call to prayer have elements of this spiritual warfare in it. Man, this is... This is an awesome passage. I want to read the whole thing. Sometimes I feel like we take uh, parts of this passage apart and and don't always look at it as as a whole. This is a glorious passage. Uh, Listen to what Paul is calling the Ephesian believers to be doing. And and this is kind of his his final thrust of the book. Uh, And he says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong... In your own power, in your own might? No. In the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Sounds like spiritual warfare. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Spiritual empowerment is necessary. Uh, But the good news is that we have a provision from God. We mentioned the, the power is there. The armor is there. This passage doesn't tell us, hey, be strong in your own might. Go forth in your own power. Put on your own armor. No, it is the Lord's might, it is the Lord's power, it is the Lord's strength. And it even says, it says the armor of God. Where, where does this armor come from? He gives it. He provides it. We need to be equipped by it. By the way, I think one of the reasons why we fail spiritually is because we skip the first step of James 4, 7. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God. Step one. Resist the devil and he will flee for you, from you. I think part of our, our problem is we're, we're trying to resist the devil, but we don't really want to submit to God that much. Oh, we, we want God at a discounted rate. Oh, we, we, we want the minimum level requirements 
that are necessary to please God, and we want the maximum level of self-control over our lives with the minimum level that God is in control over our lives, and then we think that He will honor that, that He will support us in that. And it says, submit to God. Resist the devil. In our own might, we don't have much of a chance. The devil's been at this a lot longer than you and I have. <laughs> he, he's been working on humanity since, you know, way, way before our time. If you try and combat him, if you try and overcome him in your own power, uh, good luck. But if I'm putting down a bet, I'm betting against you. <laughs> but it's a good thing we have a power that is stronger than him. It's a good thing we have a power that is mightier than him. Uh, man, there's so, so much meat in this passage. Um, I, 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 I'm just going to talk about two of, of the elements of this armor. Um, one, one is the uh, shield of faith. Um, by the, uh, so, there's so much. Uh, like, have you ever seen those videos where somebody like has a, a, a door and it's just like filled with you know balls, and then they have like a golden retriever, and they just open the door, and all the you know thousands of balls like drop out, and the the golden retriever is just looking frantically and like doesn't know what to do. He's overwhelmed. Like with passages like that, that I feel like that golden retriever. Like there are too many things for me to chase here. There's there's too much good stuff, uh, and and we have to be uh, limited in, in our looking at it. Uh, notice he says our, our enemy isn't flesh and blood. By the way, that's a good thing to be reminded of in this day and age. Uh, the, and and if, you, if you see somebody who is opposed to the work and the person, purposes of God and they exist in the flesh, one of the things you have to realize is that, that they aren't the main enemy. They're just under the control and influence of the main enemy. And part of our purpose is to set those captives Free. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The world in which we are living is characterized by darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly places. Uh, there are heavenly realities that are played out on, in the earthly sphere. That's what this passage talks about. This is, that's what uh, Ephesians 3.10 hints at. That God, in, in manifesting His great salvation through the church, is demonstrating something to heavenly beings about His glory, about His power. We also get a, a glimpse of it in the book of Job. In the book of Job, we, we get to see behind the curtain for a little bit. We, ha we have God who, who says... Uh, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And he, he, he brags on Job and Job's piety and holiness. And then there's a heavenly accusation from Satan. Satan says, look, does, does Job serve God for nothing? He's like, you put a hedge around him. Look, he doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care about you. He just likes stuff from you. And because you've protected him, because you've kept him safe, 
That's why he serves you. You are not worthy of worship. You are not worthy of honor if he goes through suffering. So the question is, is God worthy of worship? Is God worthy of praise even when we suffer? (coughs) And Job's life becomes a theater for God's glory. Job's life becomes a test case for the glory of God on earth. We see that in our own lives. We see that in Christ's life. We see that in the church. The way in which we respond to the glory of God demonstrates whether or not He is worthy of worship, demonstrates whether or not He is worthy of praise to a heavenly audience. Let's talk about two, two of the articles. By the way, these articles of armor are provided by God. One is the, I'll take it, Richard. I need, I'll take all the help I can get. <laughs> Appreciate you get, <coughs> getting that. All right. About four more minutes. We got this. Uh, so there, there, one of the things that's mentioned is the shield of faith. <laughs> um, the shield of faith is to do what? Extinguish the darts of the evil one. In fact, not just darts. It says fiery darts. Um, you know, if, if you ever watch like old westerns or things like that, you know, they have the cowboys and Indians fighting, and usually it's not that fair of a fight because, you know, the cowboys have guns and the Indians have, you know, bow and arrow uh, until one old wise Indian dips the tip of an arrow in fire and shoots it. Now, does he have to hit a cowboy for that to cause problems? No. Why? Because fire spreads. So the, the purpose of firing a fiery arrow, a fiery dart, is to distract the people that you're fighting. Why? Well, in the cowboy's case, they can't fight Indians and fire at the same time. They've got to focus on one or the other. The work of the devil is to lie. The lies he tells are to undermine the character, the nature, and the word of God. We see that in Genesis, where he succeeds in tempting Eve and through her deceiving Adam. We see that in the, garden, in the wilderness, where Christ is tempted by the devil three times. Each time he's attacking the character and the nature of God, as well as his word. What do we put our faith in? We put our faith in the character and the nature of God as revealed by the Word of God. So what does Satan do? He tries to shoot lies at you, to distract you from the truth, to get you where you're fighting fires instead of fighting the devil. What do we do when those times come? We assure ourselves in the faith of Christianity that God is good, that He is true to His Word, that He is trustworthy, and so extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. A second one I want to focus on is the sword of the Spirit. 
which is the Word of God. The use of the Word of God by the Holy Spirit is our offensive weapon. If used correctly, it's the only one you need. Christ, when He's tempted, what does He respond to the devil's temptations? Scripture. It is written. It is written. One time even Satan fires back with the Scripture. But Jesus knows enough Scripture to know when Scripture is being misused. So what does He fire back with? Scripture. Christ thwarts the plans and attacks of the devil by responding with Scripture. Entirely, by the way, from the book of Deuteronomy. If you had to defend your faith or if you had to protect yourself from temptation only using the book of Deuteronomy, how'd you do? <laughs> so th those are, are two ways I hope you see that we can be spiritually empowered and prepared for spiritual warfare. We have the armor and the power that is provided. So there's a provision. There's also a priority of prayer. If what we're doing occurs in the spiritual realm, then we need spiritual power to overcome it. If that spiritual power is provided to us and not sourced in us, then the key, the primary thing we ought to be doing is praying. And Paul knows this. Verse 19, or sorry, verse 18, my vision's getting bad. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So he's saying praying with all prayer and supplication. What's supplication? Well, it's a type of prayer. So he says praying with prayer and prayer. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What's supplication? That's prayer. So pray with prayer and prayer and also pray for the saints. And also for me, what's he want them to do for him? To pray. So he says pray with prayer and prayer and prayer. For the saints, pray. And for me, pray. Now what does he want this prayer for? That words would be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What does he want this spiritual power for? What does he want this prayer for? So that he can declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he can make it known amongst the people. And saints, he, he's in jail for this right now as he's writing this. By the way, if Paul needs prayer to declare the gospel boldly, what do you think we need? I was thinking, like, man, if Paul needs this prayer, if, if Paul needs the Spirit of God working on him, if Paul needs the saints praying for him to have boldness, saints, so do we. The, the purpose of this equipping, the purpose of this strength in the Lord is that we might proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what the cost. There's a provision of power that we pursue through prayer, which we do with perseverance. Did you notice that? It's to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. This is not a one and done. This is not a short-term objective, but this is something we need to continue in, to abide in, day by day by day. The spiritual realm is real. Spiritual warfare is real. Spiritual empowerment is necessary. We have a provision of God's power, of the armor, 
that we need to be connected to and equipped by, that we pursue through prayer with all perseverance as we boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ.